Good morning. It's a bit loud. I'll let you alter the volume. <laughs> okay. Very good morning to you. Uh, if you are a visitor this morning, or if you join us only occasionally, uh, you may not see the relevance of some of what I'm going to share this morning. Uh, so that's you. Uh, I'm sorry. The fact that we no longer have a vicar in the parish following Tim's departure means that we face an uncertain period. This change will no doubt have triggered a range of emotions, uh, perhaps disappointment, bewilderment, uh, possibly a little bit of anger, uh, anxiety, fear. Maybe some of you are excited. Uh, so this morning, I want to share a few thoughts and provide an update for you, given that many will understandably be questioning our future. I will be honest with you, and you may find some of what I say this morning to be challenging. But it is important that we share with you what we believe God has been showing us as we have sought his guidance. But first, I want to read a paragraph from a book to you. If we can't see God in our situation right now and can't feel his hands on our life, we may feel scared, angry, or helpless, or we may want to just give up altogether. Where once we could lean on God and life seemed manageable with his help, now he seems to have abandoned us. But the Bible assures us that God hasn't left us even when we can't feel his presence. Quite apart from the fact of his omnipresence, Jesus promised never to leave or forsake us. On the cross, he endured complete forsakenness so that we would not have to. The Apostle Paul assures us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Bible leaves us in no doubt at all that when God is silent, he is not absent from his people, even if that's the way it feels. He is with us now as much as he ever was. He's no less involved in our lives than he was when we could hear his voice so clearly and could sense the joy of his smile. Instead, God has switched off for a while our ability to be conscious of his presence, and he has done this in order to reduce our dependency on outward things so that we may learn some vital lesson of life. That paragraph is from Pete Gregg's excellent book, God on Mute. And I felt it appropriate to share that because I think it summarizes quite well how many of us are feeling and is a good reminder to us that when God seems to be absent, there is a purpose in it. Sometimes it's really difficult to hear God's voice, even though we long to do so. If you've been praying... Your prayer may have been, Lord, we want to know what our future holds. Why don't you show us? Why don't you tell us? Well, a number of us believe that he has begun to do so. Begun being the operative word because he has not yet revealed the full picture. And what he has shown us so far is perhaps not what some might want to hear. 
A small group of us have met regularly over the past few months to pray about our future. And we've had an increasing sense that God is shaking things. This is entirely scriptural, and I would encourage you to read the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters. Read Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27. And also read Matthew 24, where Jesus foretells the future. If you follow the news, it's pretty clear that there is a lot of shaking going on. I think it was a song that said that. I can't remember. Sounds very familiar to me. Shaking is taking place in economics, in politics. It's happening geophysically. It's happening socially. And it's also happening in religious communities. The purpose of shaking is to remove that which can be shaken so that only the eternal and shakeable remains. In a church context, God often shakes things up to bring purity, to clean us up, because many have allowed idolatry into their lives and churches. Steve and Esther Uppel, in their book Revival, suggest that idols can take many forms. And much of the Western mindset and value system has crept into the lives of Christians and influences the way we build his church. They suggest that our love of entertainment, our holding of opinions that are contrary to scripture, or our inclination for popularity and comfort have crept in and need to be shaken off. Simon Ponsonby, in his book titled Different, Living a Holy Life, suggests that the reason why the church in the West is in decline, and by decline he refers to falling attendance, um, is that non-Christians look at Christians and don't see any differences. Quite a sobering observation and challenge. We've also had the sense that God is asking us to stop and to reset. What does this mean? Well, it means putting everything and I mean everything that we do, and the way that we do it, including our personal preferences, on the altar before him, and resetting so that we start to function as God originally intended. This means that we live as a church that obeys the Great Commission by making disciples. And if we're honest, we've not been very good at discipling people. There has perhaps also been far too much emphasis on Sunday services and we have at times been too consumer focused. Why is discipling important? So that each of us develops really strong roots in Jesus to withstand the expected ongoing shakings. And as part of Christ's bride, the church, to be able to handle and care for the numbers who will be coming into the kingdom when revival comes, as surely it will. God loves us so much. And he will do whatever is necessary to awaken us and also to prepare us for the days ahead. Let's stop our busy activities long enough to hear God's voice. Let's have a look at what we believe God has been revealing to us about our current state 
what our sense is for the very short term and share some of the practical challenges that we face. So let's begin with where are we now? If I was to ask you individually, what does St. Matt's stand for? Or to ask you to describe our culture? Or to ask you to state what is both our individual and collective calling? And also, what does it mean to be a signed up member of the church family? I wonder what responses I would get. Forgive me, but I have a very strong suspicion that the answers would be at best vague. Uh, I assure you that I would struggle to answer. If we're not clear on the answers to these questions, then I suggest that we've unconsciously drifted into doing religion while constantly asking God to bless our activities. This is instead of understanding what he is asking us to be, what he is asking us to do, and then being obedient to his instruction. We will only know his instruction if we pursue him, spend time with him, and if we ask him to show us. So our number one priority must be to pursue God. The challenge for us, both individually and collectively, is what does this look like? With any building, we all tend to gaze, limit our gaze and attention on what can be seen above the ground. But it's the foundations of a building that determine its height, its strength, and its longevity. I believe that there are five areas or foundations that us as individuals and collectively as a church should be our priorities. The first one is prayer. The second is God's word, the Bible. The third is the centrality of Jesus. The fourth is the necessity of evangelism. And the fifth is the central place of worship. I'm not for any, um, there's no sense of me categorizing those, although I do believe prayer should be number one, but... Um, Prayer, God's word, the Bible, the centrality of Jesus, the necessity of evangelism, the central place of worship. To put these foundations in place will require a fundamental shift in our culture because if we are honest, we don't score very highly against these, certainly as a collective. The importance of prayer, whatever our past experience, good or bad, cannot be overstated. Prayer is the mechanism or conduit for intimacy with God. In Matthew 22, verse 37, when challenged by the Pharisees, Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is absolutely a call to intimacy through prayer and an acknowledgement that it is the most important thing. Steve Uppel says, it is time for the church to mature, to desire him instead of only seeking him for what we can get. 
I remember some months ago watching an interview by J. John with a Nigerian pastor who runs a very large church in North London. This pastor positively glowed with God's presence and he talked about the importance of prayer in his life and in the life of his church. When asked to describe what the early days of his church were like, he replied by saying that for the first three months, they didn't do anything, no services, no activities, but they prayed. Shifting our behavior and our current practices is not easy. When we've traveled the same pathway time and time again, our minds develop ruts. As a new season begins, previously helpful habits can become a hindrance. Consequently, to unlearn and forget the old ways requires us to be intentional and also we need the help of the Holy Spirit. The good news is that each of us has the potential to become malleable if we make ourselves teachable to God. We can become all he intends us to be. And, listen to this, who we are becoming is far more important to him than what we are doing. Let me say that again. Who we are becoming is far more important to him than what we are doing. I mentioned discipling earlier, and we believe that the small groups are a key part of our journey. It is easier to build deeper relationships for journeying together through the structure of small groups. We also know that there are aspects of some of our current small groups that aren't working particularly well. And so we need godly wisdom and direction in this area. So what's the short-term plan? We're conscious that some of us have had longer than others to process our situation. What I've shared with you so far this morning may be entirely new thinking and truly challenging to some of you. I show you that I've been personally challenged. Although it is absolutely clear to us that the stopping and resetting is from God, how this manifests itself practically is uncertain. And it may take a few months for God's clear instruction to become apparent. We're absolutely keen to ensure that people don't feel abandoned. But there is a personal choice to be made. And each of us should be seeking God for direction as to what our individual journeys should look like. The next few months may feel like you, we, are walking in a fog and will demand learning to wait, to carry the burden of uncertainty, but will give us the opportunity to put everything on the altar and pursue intimacy with God. If God makes it clear that he wants us to continue journeying together, but after prayerful consideration, you decide that you wish to pursue a different path, remember that we are meant to journey in fellowship with others, so beware of trying to do it alone. As you already know from the notices, this is the last gathering of St. Matt's for 2023. 
We intend to meet here next Sunday at 5 as, uh, sorry, we intend to meet here next uh, 5 p.m. on Sunday the 7th of January, as Grace mentioned earlier. And that would be for a time of extended worship, but also to focus on prayer. And for the month of January, this is likely to be our pattern. For the reasons I've already outlined, prayer is so fundamental and we are determined not to run ahead of God, believing that however uncomfortable the waiting period is, and believe you me, it is uncomfortable, it will be through spending time in his presence that we will begin to sense clarity of direction and purpose. So 7th of January, 5 p.m. here. But on the 14th of January, the week after, uh, we're encouraging everybody for St. Matt's to gather at St. Swithin's Church, which is the one at the end of Walcott Street, Broad Street, near the little mini roundabout there, uh, where the well is happening. Uh, this is an opportunity to gather with other church communities from across the city and should be a great evening of celebrating Jesus and nourishment for us all. And the remaining two Sundays in January will be here. We intend to provide the church family with further updates in January and are acutely aware of the importance of communication with the St. Matt's family, something that we know we need to be better at. And finally, here are some of the practical challenges that we face. Assuming that God does want us to continue journeying together, this, um, should this be within the Church of England or outside the Church of England? Sorry for that shocking to some of you, but I feel it's important that we need to seek God on that. It is not definite that the diocese will seek to replace Tim. You may find that shocking. The current structure of the Church of England has, is uncertain, both for financial and, I would suggest, some doctrinal issues too. Issues such as, will it be possible to form a new PCC, which is the governing body for the church, annual church meeting in May this year? Um, lack of volunteers. Our own financial situation is deteriorating. Building costs through the roof. Our parish share, which is the money that each church in the um, diocese contributes. We have limited human resource. The old 80-20 rule applies. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Same in most organizations. Um, it's a challenge for us. A lot of tired people in this church family. I think there's a call to be stand up and be counted and to be accountable. So if you offer to do something, you don't back out at the last minute, barring sickness, death, those important things. <laughs> if we journey together, what should the leadership look like?
Having said all of that, and you may view all of that as being very negative, and my intention is not to be negative. My intention is to be real, honest, to be authentic. This is life. These are challenges. This is where we need God's guidance. This is where we need God's help. But we mustn't allow these issues that I've raised to distract from the most important pursuits, which are prayer, God's word, the centrality of Jesus, the necessity of evangelism, and the central place of worship. I'm sorry if that's not the talk you were expecting on this second Sunday of Advent. Is it the second Sunday of Advent? I think it is. Uh, but I'm not going to apologize. This is serious stuff. Having said that, you've all been extremely patient. Um, and at least you look as if you've been paying attention unless you've just mastered the art of having that look on your face. <laughs> what we're going to do now is we're going to have 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, of quiet individual reflection and prayer. Mark, I know it took a lot of bravery and faith. Um, and I know you apologize for doing that in the run-up to Christmas and Advent, but actually I think... That's a really beautiful time to share uncertainty. Um, we can hold all of that, everything that Mark said, the uncertainty, we can hold that alongside the truth of Jesus coming down to earth. And that, and that is something that God has done, and God cannot undo that. that. That cannot be undone. Whatever comes next for our church, Jesus coming down to earth, and the light of what we know comes after that. Um, him dying and rising again to be in a relationship with us, that cannot be undone by anything that comes next. Um, so I just wanna, just wanna pray, really. Um, Father, thank you for the certainty that we can go into this Christmas season with. The certainty of your love, your, the way you brought Jesus um, into like raw humanity, Father, in a stable. Thank you that that is something that you have done. Thank you that it cannot be undone um, by anything that comes next for us as a church. Um, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Thank you that we can hold that with certainty in the Christmas season as we walk into 2024. Father, I pray that you help us to hold that so tightly, grip it so tightly, as well as the, the words, the characteristics that Julie shared earlier. Thank you that we can grip those so tightly. And I pray that as we grip those tightly, we can perhaps loosen our grip on our expectations of church, our expectations of um, the way you might move. I pray that as we grip tightly onto you and your characteristics and the certainty of what has been done to be in relationship with us, I pray that... Um, you will help us to loosen our grip on other things, Father. And however we may be feeling, we may be feeling scared, we may be feeling excited, we may be really un unsure of how we're feeling, Lord, but thank you that you're feeling all of those things with us and you are ready to respond when we call out to you.
Oh man, I know that Andrew has a couple of things he'd like to share. Thanks, Grace. <coughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Grace. I just I suppose there were a couple of things that came to me in that time of quiet. Um, I absolutely agree with all Mark's points about the challenges facing us, but I guess I, c I felt God was saying, but, but, and Grace has already s said this, but I just felt God was saying, and this was the passage that um, Victoria read to us, um, we may be facing uncertain times, and there are some big challenges, but look at the God that we have, look at the message and good news that we have, and I have this sense that we shouldn't be timid, whatever we may feel, about change and challenges, the one thing we, we shouldn't be is timid because God is with us. So is my microphone, but that sounds right. And if God is with us, um, in our weakness, he can be really powerful. So I, speaking as someone whose personal life has gone, has gone off tangent massively over the past six months in ways that I could never have seen, and speaking as someone who's therefore had this sense of disorientation not about church, but just about health and other things for my wife. Um, the one thing God has been saying is, don't be timid. Don't be afraid. So I just wanted to reiterate that. And then the second thing is that when you feel disorientated and change is coming, it's very easy to step back and just... See, I'll, I'll just see how things happen. And this verse in Hebrews, or two verses in Hebrews, have been going around in my head for the last month. And I, I, so whatever we do, let's not try and do it on our own. That was the point Mark made, and I think that's really important. So in our small groups, when we meet on Sunday evenings in January, come, because what Paul wrote, well, actually, I'm not sure it was Paul, what the writer of Hebrews wrote was, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, the day was approaching then. It's really approaching now because we're 2,000 years later. So can I, can I encourage all of us to come together in our small groups, but also on Sunday evenings when we're coming together, as Mark said, primarily to pray. Let's do it together because if God's going to work through us, through our fragility, it'll be when we are together and able to spur each other on. Um, Jonathan Hilsden, who I hope is still here. Just gone to the toilet. He's just gone to the toilet. Jonathan Hilsden and I are the wardens of St. Matt's. So if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, this service has raised lots of questions in my mind and you want to talk to someone, by all means talk to Mark, but you can also talk to me or you can talk to Jonathan. Um, just do come and talk to us because, like I say, we need to spur each other on. We need to encourage each other. And, and I think if we do that and we, give, bless you, and we give the focus to prayer, as Mark was saying, then I think God can do things that we can't envisage and that we can't see. So I think what I'm saying is let's give him the chance to work through us.